Got your Bible, turn to uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Um, if you've been here for the last, I don't know, several weeks, we've been talking a lot about reaching out to the people around us, reaching out to the community. We've been talking about how um, there are so many people who love the Lord, even, but that are not connected to the church. Um, we've been kind of in an evangel- evangelistic frame of mind and teaching and realm. And, and uh, I always tell people when they ask about Soma Church and the community that I minister in and those kinds of things, you know, what it's like. And I always talk about how unique it is because we are in Tyler, Texas, which has been known as the, the buckle of the Bible Belt. And you tell somebody about Jesus and they already know all about him, right? And they've been born again, they've been baptized, they know everything, even though their life may not look like it, they profess the Lord Jesus. You guys know what I'm talking about? So it's kind of hard to witness to people in Tyler, Texas. He says, the, the, when the, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses, right? And he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And so we want to do that because we want to be obedient to the Lord, and it's his heart, so we want to do that. And so we try to do that in Tyler, and you talk to somebody, and, oh, yeah, brother, I already know Jesus. I go to so-and-so in church of the church church. You know what I mean? And it's just really difficult. It's really difficult to be evangelistic in Tyler, Texas. Is that true or false? And yet we still have a responsibility. And so I think about um, Rex and Amy. I think about Raymond. I think about some of you guys that have been missionaries or support missionaries in other parts of the world. About how when you are in missions, it's all about context, isn't it? It's about what are the right battles to fight in that area. You may think church is like this, or you may think the gospel is expressed like this, or even lived out like this, the way it is here or home or whatever. But when you are in a certain context, it has to fit that context. The gospel doesn't change. The power of God unto salvation is the same, but the context and how you minister that can change depending upon where you're at, right? One of the things that, that um, I feel like the Lord is speaking to me and really has for a while, but just bringing it up more and more and more is the context of Soma Church being a church in Tyler, Texas. And we want to see people come to faith. We want to see people, the vision of this church is living the life of Jesus Christ, right? Choosing the way, which is Jesus. Living, uh, knowing the truth, which is Jesus. And living the life of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we want to see. And so one of the things that I'm realizing more and more and more is that there are people that profess Jesus, but they just don't live the life of Jesus. And a lot of those people that profess Jesus don't even go to church, which we've talked about. You have to go back to listen to some of the podcasts. That is not intrinsically evil. There's nothing that's going to send them to hell for that. But there is a massive component in living the life of Jesus Christ that is missing if one is not connected to a local church. Is that right? I wasn't planning to say all that, but that's a big recap over the last of the last several weeks, okay? And so we've been talking about how do we reach out, how do we, how do we share the gospel in such a way that it provokes people to live a life of Jesus Christ in the context of Tyler, Texas. And a lot of it just has to do with relationships, it reaching out, spending time with people, going above and beyond a service. These are greats. These are the gatherings of the saints, though, right? And there are some saints that aren't gathering at all. They're trying to do it solo. There's so many warnings in Scripture about trying to live the faith solo. Isn't that right? So we want to see people that are born-again believers and those who aren't yet realize that they need to be and then the ones that already are get connected to church so they can live the life the way that 
the scriptures tell us to. You guys know that I always try to give a, um, a sermon in a sentence that helps me to stay focused because I'm seriously ADD, right? And so I'm going to go ahead and give you the sermon in the sentence before we talk about anything else, okay? So go ahead and write this down. I don't have a PowerPoint, PowerPoint made tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and give you this sermon in the sentence, and we're going to continue this thought on how to reach out to the community, how the Lord can use us in the way that he will use us. Okay, y'all ready? Anybody falling asleep? Okay, good. Here's the sermon in the sentence. Write this down. It's not going to be on the screen, so I'll say it a couple times. If you always pick your peaches off the tree, you may miss making a remarkable cobbler. Want me to say that again? If you always pick your peaches off the tree, you may miss making a remarkable cobbler. How many women in the house know what I'm talking about? A couple of you. Okay, this is something I learned from my mother-in-law. Sharla, raise your hand. Okay? She will tell you that sometimes a nicely bruised piece of fruit will make a good dessert. And so that's what I'm saying. If you always pick your peaches off the tree, you may miss making a remarkable cobbler. And I love peach cobbler, so this really ministers to me. (laughs) But this is true of other fruits and desserts as well. Bruised apples apparently make great apple pies. The brown bananas that we throw away because we don't want that. You know what I'm talking about? Apparently, they make really good banana bread. Okay? So if you always pick your peaches, and I guess you can apply this to whatever fruit. If you have a favorite fruit and fruit dessert, apply that somehow and send it to me. I'd love to know what your sermon and sentence is. But if you always pick your peaches off the tree, you may miss making a remarkable cobbler. This is true of several different types of fruits and desserts. And yet, listen to me, our natural tendency is to walk right past perfectly usable fruit that's laying on the ground to get to the fruit that's hanging on the tree because we see that fruit on the tree as the obvious choice. That's what we need to go for. We need to go for the obvious fruit on the tree because it's, it's ripe and it's beautiful and it's delicious. But when you do that, keep in mind, you may be missing an opportunity to make a remarkable dessert. And I think this mindset carries over into when and how we will reach out with the gospel. A lot of times our eyes or our natural uh, perception of a person and their situation will dictate whether or not we will reach out to them with the gospel. And if you're listening to me, you kind of already know what I'm talking about. Let me say that again in case you missed it. A lot of times our natural perception of a person and their situation will dictate whether or not we will reach out to them with the gospel. Maybe it's something like um, they're too far gone or, man, their life is way too rough. Just where they would never receive the gospel or where they've been, what they've done, which is totally the wrong attitude. It's totally judging. But we do that. Am I the only one that's ever done that? We kind of measure up, size up their situation, the person, and and we consider them bruised. We consider them damaged fruit. And so we don't go for them. We step over them, and we go something that looks, I think that person might come to the Lord, so I will pick off that tree. You guys hear what I'm saying? And so we'll step right over damaged fruit and pick something off the tree. And it's not that something off the tree couldn't be just as remarkable of a dessert 
But we have to remind ourselves that if you always pick your peaches off the tree, you might miss an opportunity to make a really good peach cobbler. I want us to look at um, Matthew 5. Go ahead and turn there. Because this is a great example here in Matthew 5 of how a damaged piece of fruit can bring something great to the table. And that's a pretty good pun. Did you hear that? Did y'all hear that? You want me to read it again? Because I, I, I thought it was creative. <laughs> this is a great example of how a damaged piece of fruit can bring something great to the table. Get it? A dessert? You know, whatever. Okay. So we're going to read this. And as usual, it starts off with having the mind of Christ. It starts off with having the heart that Jesus has. Okay, so let's read this. This is Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 5. Did I say Matthew 5? I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. You're killing me, Smalls. So this is Luke chapter 5, but this is, and if you read over your heading, it's the calling of Levi. This is the story of the moment in time where Jesus calls Matthew to be his disciple, okay? And this is a really big deal. And if you, we've already kind of been, last, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the paralytic and we've talked about the blind man and we've talked about the lepers and, and all those things, those encounters that Jesus had with people that needed something. That this was a little different because he wasn't just gonna minister and move on. Here, this was something that he was doing. He was saying, this is someone that's going to be with me for the next three years, walk my walk, talk my talk, and when I'm gone, do the deal. Okay, this is Matthew. So let's start reading. After that, after he finished up with the paralytic, after that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind, Matthew, Levi, left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And I tell you what, for the sake of time, we're going to stop reading there. We may just jump into the rest of it next week. But let's focus on this because there's enough in this little section to encourage us and challenge us. Okay, can we, can we do that? So let's look back at it. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth or sitting in his tax booth. Now, you know, when we read stuff like this, we kind of pass over it. Okay, um, Jesus calls Matthew, who is a tax collector. Then what happened? But... Some of the details really tell us how big of a deal this is. There is a huge picture that affects so many things. The fact that Jesus came and noticed Matthew sitting at a tax collector and if he, I mean, sitting at a tax booth, and if he was sitting there, that means he was doing his job. So even the fact that he noticed him while he was doing his job and chooses him to be his disciple is a really big deal that has huge implications on Matthew, on Jesus, on his disciples, and really on the community. And yet it teaches us something very powerful about the gospel. So he was a tax collector. Matthew, Levi, was a tax collector. This is a big deal because everyone hated tax collectors. Because tax collectors worked for the government and they had the force of Roman soldiers to, to, um, to enforce the taxes being paid. Okay, so the Roman government was enforcing that. And so they had that behind them so they could really do what they want. For the most part... If someone that was a Jewish, well, no, not for the most part, totally. If there was someone who was Jewish that decided he wanted to take up the career of being a tax collector, he was immediately considered a traitor. 
And you could be considered a traitor for all kinds of different things, but this, being a tax collector, was one of the most visible ways that a Jewish person could be seen and considered as a traitor. And so already, Jesus is looking at a what? A traitor. Keep that in mind. Another thing is, is that um, tax collectors were, they were considered extortionists, okay? And rightly so. What they would do is they would keep whatever they over collected. And what I mean by that is if the Roman government was saying, hey, we need $10 a month, go collect the taxes. What we're citing this month is going to be $10. Go collect $10. Well, and it was common knowledge that they did this, but what a tax collector do, would he would boost that up. He would say it's $12 or it's $15 or whatever. And it was, the government didn't care as long as they got their $10, right? So whatever the tax collector could push that to be is what they got to pocket themselves. If it's $10 and they charged two, uh, 12, how, how much will they get? Okay. So you get the picture. And this was great motivation for them to overcharge and to cheat the people any way that they could. It was a profit for them. In fact, you might remember, um, if you read your Bible a lot, you might just recall the story in Luke chapter 3, just a couple chapters before, where it says that some tax collectors were being baptized, okay? They came to know the Lord, they wanted to be baptized, and so they were baptized, and then the tax collectors that were being baptized said to Jesus, teacher, what shall we do? In other words, what should we do now? We know you, we've been born again, we've even been baptized, what's next? What do we do? And Jesus said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And basically what he's saying is, you can go back to your job. There's nothing wrong with being a tax collector. Just be an honest one. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure you're doing it in a godly way. And so, but even that right there, what I'm saying is proves that <laughs> they were dishonest. It was common knowledge that they were dishonest. In fact, I was re- reading this um, this commentary, and one guy talks about how there's an ancient Roman writer that, that says that he once saw a monument dedicated to an honest tax collector. (laughs) He says, an honest specimen of this renegade profession was so rare that he received a monument. (laughs) So, I mean, consider that. There was a monument made to an honest tax collector. People hated tax collectors. Matthew was a man all men hated. And yet Jesus noticed him. I want to focus on that word for a second, noticed Some of your Bibles might say that Jesus saw a man named Matthew at his tax booth. Mine says, noticed. But I want to spend a second to paint a picture of what's really going on. And this is the key word. So if you want to make some notes around this word, you can. The word noticed. I won't even try to pronounce the Greek word. But it literally means to behold. Okay? And that word in that language um, is used, you know, several different places. Um, But it means to view attentively. It means to... Um, view or look at contemplatively. Okay, I'm, I'm going to paint a picture of these words. It means to, uh, to take view of. And not just to view, but to take view of. It means, uh, in the sense of visiting, it means meeting with a person. It means to learn by looking. Okay, it literally means to perceive. In fact, the most common way that this word was used in that day, in that culture, was of public shows like plays, things on a stage, theater. You guys know what I'm talking about? So think about that. Someone watching in such a way as to understanding, as to understand the plot. You guys hear what I'm saying? That's what was going on here. Jesus was looking at Matthew in such a way as to understand 
the plot. This is huge. Bottom line, Jesus saw Matthew where he was, and since he was at his booth, he saw what he was doing, but he could see. He was, he was meeting with this person in a sense. He was perceiving. He was contemplating. He was trying to discern the plot. He could see Matthew's potential if he were to follow him in the spirit-filled life. Okay, this is bigger than just he saw Matthew over and said, Hey, you want to come with us? We're going down to Marlboro you know. That's not what's happening. There is a massive transaction that has happened here. Jesus stopped, took the time to discern. This is what this young man's life would look like if he was surrendered to the Holy Spirit, if he followed me and became a disciple. So he's looking at Matthew. What is it that Jesus saw in Matthew? Well, let's think about it. What, what did this bruised pre, uh, piece of fruit named Matthew bring to the table? Well, let's think about it just real quick. And there's all kinds of things, but wh- what do we know about Matthew? What is one of the most common things we know about Matthew? Come on. Yes, he was a tax collector. I just shared that with you. Thank you, Kat. Okay. What else do we know about Matthew? Come on, Bible students. What? Who said it? He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Right? Now, this, this is important, okay? Not only, it's been placed as the first gospel for a reason. I don't have time to go into all those reasons. But he wrote the gospel, or the book of Matthew. And in case you don't know this about the book of Matthew, it is the longest and most detailed of the four gospels. More than any other gospel, Matthew proves to his readers that Jesus is the Messiah by showing how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Messiah. If you remember and can recall reading the book of Matthews, it would say something like, and Jesus did this to fulfill what was said in the prophets all the time. This is a big deal, right? You know, um, a lot of scholars believe that Matthew probably had some sort of advanced training in Judaism. If you know anything about that culture, when you're young, uh, every young boy is, is kind of placed into Pharisee school or something to that equivalent. And if you excel, you can move on. If not, you got to get kicked out and become a fisherman or something, do what your dad did, carpenter, whatever. But if you excelled, you got to go on to the next level and to the next level and to the next level. Some scholars believe that Matthew made it to some pretty significant levels, maybe even to the level of when he was 10 or 12 when you could start participating in what's called oral law. The speaking, not just the the listening to the law, but oral law, to be able to actually talk about it amongst other um, Pharisees and and students. If he did, then by that time, he probably knew a lot of stuff, right? He probably had tons of scripture uh, memorized. He probably knew a lot about the coming Messiah. Do you think that the Messiah might know about people who know about the Messiah? So Jesus is going, oh, that's old Matthew. I remember that boy flunked out. But he learned a lot before he did. You guys hear what I'm saying? Jesus was looking at, yeah, this this fruit fell to the ground. He didn't quite make it in social circles. A little bruised. Boy, he sure make a good peach cobbler. You guys hear what I'm saying? And he's looking at this and he's seeing this cobbler being picked up off the, I mean, this fruit, uh, what is he? He's a peach, people. This peach picked up off the ground. Whatever they do to a peach, 
to make it a cobbler into a good cobbler. That's what Jesus is seeing, okay? It's like watching a movie. Here's the plot. This Bruce Peach is going to become, he's going to sit at, he's going to be on my table. He's going to be really good. You guys see that? And obviously, being a tax collector, he's someone that could read, someone that could write. A lot of people in that day did not know how to read, didn't know how to write. But here he is. Jesus would have known this. You know, one of the things in considering this that I thought about is, then why is he, why is he collecting taxes? And I don't know the answer to that. Maybe he had student loans or something to pay back. I don't know. But he had to get a job, and so he's doing, you know, tax collecting. And there's nothing that indicates that Matthew was a thief and a robber. It doesn't say that he was a chief tax collector like Zacchaeus. You guys remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and very wealthy. We don't know. Well, we know that he's not a chief tax collector. Does it say that? And we don't know that he's wealthy. So he may not be like the others, but he was a tax collector, right? And that alone made him what? A traitor and an extortionist in the people's eyes. But in Jesus' eyes, he's like, dang, this is a good peach cobbler. He sees him. He goes up to him. And he says, follow me. And those are simple words, but in that culture, what that literally meant, people knew that Jesus was a, a teacher, okay? And that phrase in the Hebrew literally mean, didn't just mean follow me. We're going to go down to Whataburger. It means follow me. I would like for you to become my disciple. Okay, so by saying follow me, he's saying, I want you to leave everything you are and everything that you do and follow me. And they would know that that also means a period of time. This isn't like follow me to the end of the road. Hopefully you'll catch something by you know, that time frame. This means this is going to be a big deal. And I want you to look because it says that Matthew left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And I want to make just a, I'll just go ahead and give you what these words mean because I think in light of what we're talking about, if you always pick your peaches off the tree, then you may be missing a remarkable cobbler. Sometimes you got to see the one on the ground and pick it up. That's going to be a good peach cobbler. These words are all significant. And I'm not making this up. It's just what it says. And he left everything behind. If you want to write this down, you can. That word left means to forsake. It means to cease to care for. In that moment, this encounter that he had with Jesus, something massive happens. Something that we need to be praying happens in the hearts of the people of Tyler, Texas. And that they, they, they forsake their current situation, their current desires, their current passions, their current longings, their current uh, addictions, their current idols, their current situation. That they would forsake them, and it also means to cease to care for. That was like phase one. Follow me. And something happened. And I'll be honest with you. I personally believe, in light of all this, that he was somebody that was already thinking in his mind, gosh, I loved the law. I loved all of that. I loved talking about God's law. I loved living his law. I loved do this. Here I am ta- collecting tax collector. Maybe the, maybe the monument was to Matthew. Maybe it was. I don't know. But maybe there's something in his heart that was already kind of primed and didn't know how to get out of his situation. You know what I mean? But he wanted out of his situation. And then here comes the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Savior, the Almighty, <laughs> Yeshua, 
Jesus, salvation of God, that's what his name means, saying, follow him. And he's like, sounds like an out to me, you know. And it says that he forsake, uh, he forsook everything. He ceased to care for everything. And again, we talked about what a tax collector would be in love with, the money, the riches. And so for him to forsake, he's considering, kind of like when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, uh, you probably need to sell everything you own. Give up your riches. The scripture says that young man walked away sad because he was very rich. This young man, we don't know if he was rich, but he could have been, right? Or at least eventually could have been. It says that he forsook that. He ceased to care for those things. And the next thing it says is that he got up and began to follow. Have you ever read that? Did you ever notice that there were two different events there? I never noticed it till this week. It says that he left everything behind and got up. Well, wouldn't he have got up first and then left everything behind? These writers are crazy. No, it's because we're not getting <laughs> the true value and um, whatever of the word. First, he ceased to care for. Then he got up. You guys see that? That word got up or the phrase there got up. It's, it's a couple, it's multiple words in our language, but in that language, it's one word. And it means to cause to rise up. Something caused him to rise up. And it means, it literally means of a person <laughs> laying on the ground. Isn't that good? How did Jesus see him? As a bruised piece of fruit laying on the ground. Notice Jesus never went to Pharisees. That's the obvious fruit, right? We'll talk about this next week, but he goes on to say, it's not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We'll talk about that next week, maybe. But here you see Jesus take the time to learn the plot. Decided this is a good plot. It's going to be a good pie cobbler calls him Matthew ceased to care for and got up off the ground figuratively speaking and began to follow him now I look at that and I think do we have the mind of Christ and do we have the heart of Jesus and first of all are we even looking in the direction of others and if we are, are we only glancing are we, or are we looking in such a way as to learn the plot, have vision for their future, see them something, for something other than they are, see them doing something other than what they're currently doing? And are we, are we willing to go to them and say um, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, follow me as I follow Jesus? Maybe that's not our first choice words of <laughs> reaching out. But essentially, that's what we do when we are willing to not step over the fruit, but to spend the time, perceive the plot, pick up that bruised piece of fruit, develop a relationship. This is starting to sound weird. But you guys hear what I'm saying. And along the way, show them a better life. Show them a better way of doing things. And though your words may not be saying it, your mouth may not be speaking it, your life is saying, follow my example 
as I follow Christ. Amen? Let's stand. And in case you didn't get it, if you always pick your peaches off the tree, you may be missing a remarkable cobbler. We gather every Saturday night. How many of you enjoy it? How many of you enjoy it? It's good. But this is not the end all. In fact, this is just a celebration time where we come together and we hear testimonies like what's going on in people's lives and how they're responding to the call. Their plots are changing. Amen? That's what we do. We celebrate Jesus and we celebrate changed plots. Amen? How many of you are ready for your plot to change? How many of you are ready for your plot to change? I will get Pentecostal on you if I need to. I will spit right now. I wail. (laughs) Brian's like, dude, I've seen him do it. You guys hear what I'm saying? How many of you are willing or ready for your plot to change? Okay, listen. Change your plot. Let, Let the Lord change your plot. He's ready. So maybe this is, this isn't necessarily you you're maybe not hearing this necessarily from the eyes of Jesus, but from the eyes of Matthew. Maybe you're in a place where I've been a tax collector, despised and rejected, looked upon in certain ways for a long time. I would like to get out of this, but I don't know how. The Lord wants to change your plot. You have to come to him. Jesus is always saying to us every day, every morning we wake up, he is saying, follow me, be my disciple. Are you a Christian Are you a born-again person in Tyler, Texas? Or are you a disciple? That's a great question, isn't it? Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Follow me. The implication wasn't come into a new form of religion. It was come and be my disciple and learn a pure and faultless religion. Amen? This is good stuff. We go on and on and on about how important this is. We must become disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Isn't that good? And did you know that when those things are happening like crazy, this, what we do here will look completely different. First of all, it will be filled with more people that do know the Lord that aren't connected to church. How many of you were blessed tonight by um, Rex and Amy's testimony of stepping out in faith? How many of you were blessed? Watching their plot change? It's exciting! How about Christy and Melissa? How many of you are excited to hear about this opportunity that Christy and Melissa have to go do this? It's a, it's a lifetime, it's a dream of a lifetime. How do you say that? I don't know. Thinking about Raymond. I re, can I just say something real quick? I remember the day I met Raymond Billy. It was at church. Let me, let me go ahead. We met at church, but then we had lunch together. Do you remember where? See, I do. Huh? Yeah, you remember, baby. And I remember talking to, to Raymond. We're having lunch, and he's just sharing where he's at in life. And at the time, he was, um, I guess, writing or doing something for the paper, Tyler Paper writing. And you just, you'd hear him talking, and there's just something in there. He's like, he wanted his plot to change. And there were some things in his life that really needed to be kind of checked off and straightened out and make sure that's okay. I don't know if you remember those things. I said, why don't you check those off and make sure those things are okay? And dude, he did. I gotta be honest. Do you know how often it is that people actually take 
my advice. <laughs> not very often. But he did. And I'm telling you, not to, he was going to another church at that time, but he had visited Soma. And my encouragement to him was, you need to stay at that church, make sure everything's good and healthy there. And I think it was another year later that he came back to Soma and said, the Lord released me to come here. I'm in a good place. And it wasn't too much longer. He got built up, developed relationships with Marvin and other people. And pretty soon the dude is stepping out, changing his plot. And now he, where do you live? In Hawaii? Right? Alaska, Hawaii? Very different. Isn't that cool? How many of you are excited about that testimony? You didn't know that about Raymond, but now you do. No, he, was, he, he, he came out of the womb, a missionary. He was holy from the day he was born. No, he wasn't. <laughs> what? <laughs> Marvin said, is there anywhere in the Bible where it talks about trading plots? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Actually, I'm trading myself. Okay, we can go there. Beauty for ashes. Okay. How many of you were blessed and encouraged tonight by the Clark's testimony? Stepping out in adoption. Not on their radar. And then on their radar. And then scared out of their mind. But took that step of faith. And God said, I've been in this the whole time. Your plot's about to change. How many of you are encouraged by that? How many of you would like to where it got to the point where I'm not even preaching? We're just constantly hearing testimonies of people's plots changing. You think I'm kidding? I don't mind. I would, I'd listen to this stuff all night versus listening to myself. Do you know that that's not my job to make that happen? I can't fill these seats. My sermons will not fill those seats. You guys know that. <laughs> right? But did you know that you can go up and you can take notice, engage people and help them change their plot? And then we all get to come and celebrate that and listen to their stories. Amen? <laughs> all right. Lord, I pray that.